you can easily get caught up with all these things that are going on. But if you look at my office and you look at the top performers and the way that they work, it's, it's not that difficult. It's simple, but they're consistent, you know, and they're focused on, on what their genre is. So, so for me, you know what? I, 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 it's my job as a broker to interpret the technology out there, to, to vet it and to bring it into my company whenever I feel or deem that, that it moves the needle. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions, and I'm your host, Bill Risser. With nearly 25 years in the real estate business, I love to interview industry leaders, up-and-comers, and really anyone with a story to tell. It's the stories that led my guests to a career in the real estate world that drives me into my ninth year and nearly 400 episodes of the podcast. And now, I hope you enjoy the next journey. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 380 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, I'm staying in uh, my new home state. Is, it, is that really my new home state? Florida. And we're going to go down to South Florida. We're going to go to Coral Gables and we're talking to George Guerra. George Guerra is the owner broker of Real Estate Salesforce, a company he started in 2005, I think, at the age of 26. So opened his own brokerage. It's very successful in that at Coral Gables and, and all around that South Florida area. It's going to be really fun to talk to George. He's very passionate about what he does. So let's get this thing started. George, welcome to the podcast. Bill, thank you very much for the invitation to the Real Estate Sessions. I'm looking forward to sharing and connecting with, with everything that you need today. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I had the chance to, to chat with you for a little bit at, at the One Coast RE Bar Camp. And so I was intrigued by some of the things you were talking about and teaching and saying. So you're a natural for the show. So thanks for doing this. Pleasure is mine. Well, let's start. Like, I like to start at the beginning. I spend, some people say I spend an inordinate amount of time getting the background of my guests. But if you listen to most podcasts, George, you know this, that, that you listen to a podcast and it's like, oh, give me that 30 second background of you. And then we go right into the marketing or the good stuff, the great stuff about how you do business. And we'll get there. We're going to take, take it slow though. So the first thing Perfect. I want to find out is, I know you live in Coral Gables, beautiful part of the Miami area. And your brokerage is located kind of throughout South Florida now, real estate Salesforce. I'm going to just assume you're a native of the area. Am I right? I was born and raised here. All right. And does that mean, now please don't, don't, don't disappoint me here. This means you're behind the Dolphins, Marlins, Heat, Panthers. Those are all your teams, right? Of course. Listen, <laughs> homegrown over here, watching them, you know, as a young kid growing up and seeing a lot of these franchises literally start right in front of you. You have no choice. You're sort of indoctrinated into that, that fan club. Not to yeah. mention all of them have, have won, you know, some sort of world championship in one way, shape or form, surprisingly. That's that cuts deep because I grew up in San Diego, George. Never had one. Never had a championship ever. And I'm way older than you. So that's great. Like like the Marlins get two of them. You get the you get LeBron in the Heat. It's, it's not even the Panthers have won the Stanley Cup, you're right. And the Dolphins undefeated season. That's yeah, Listen, whatever. And, and, and don't forget the elephant in the room right now. Inter in inter Miami with Messi. Oh, that's right. I, you know, I just saw yeah. I had that commercial on the Super Bowl yesterday. Did you catch it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of messy. Course. God, I, I want to, you know, you and I had a chat about your family background at the bar camp and your parents immigrated from Cuba in very different ways. Do you mind sharing that story? No, absolutely not. So you know what? My, my father's side of the family, they came over here pretty much because of obviously 
political issues. And uh, one of them, first and foremost, was my dad's brother got arrested as, as a double agent. Uh, he was working for, 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 for the CIA and the, the, the Castro regime. And he got arrested, got sentenced for 15 years in prison. And my family was separated. Uh, obviously, my grandmother, his mother, didn't want to leave him in Cuba in prison and come to the U.S. My father came from Cuba to Spain, stayed in a monastery there for six months, and then came over to South Florida to live with his aunt until his father joined him when he was 17 years old. So, so left at 15, got reunited with his father back at 17. Wow. My, my father, construction guy, hard labor. And uh, I want to say my grandmother came a couple years later. And I want to say when, when my dad's brother's tenure came over, finished in prison, he got on a raft, went to Mexico, hitchhiked all the way to Miami, and we've been a, a happy family ever since. Wow. And I think I remember you saying your mom was more traditional. It was like just can't, got on a plane and just flew over to the States. Is it pretty simple? There? So on, 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 on my mother's side, you know, I don't share this very often, but my great-great-grandmother was part of the mafia over there. They were running numbers. Yeah, numbers, as crazy as that sounds back then. <laughs> And her and my, my grandmother, my great grandmother was that my grandmother was married to a prosecutor. And uh, to, to make a long story short, as soon as the Castro regime hit in there, they had an opportunity to leave and they all boarded on a plane, left all their possessions. Um, I remember my mother was telling me that her, her only memory was that they took away her coloring books and her colors. And she was devastated before she got on that plane. And uh, wow. they came to, to here, South Florida. And, you know, like most people from Cuba, both my mother and my father and their families came here with nothing. Um, do you have your brothers and sisters? I do. I have a, two, uh, a brother and a sister that are both younger than me. Okay. Uh, they're six years younger than me. They both happen, happen to be doctors, believe it or not. Wow, that's great. So that's, I imagine there was a very powerful push from your parents for you to be successful and your, your siblings to be successful in this country. Well, you, you know what? Not only, you know, what was it a major push, you know, as I grew up, you know, before my parents took any luxuries, schooling was was first and foremost on, on their agenda. So they sacrificed everything they could to, to, you know, I would say not the best schools, but, you know, the best schools that they can afford at the time. And education was a priority. I remember growing up as a kid, you know, my, my parents' goals are very simple. You know, we want to work hard, you know, hard labor so you guys don't have to, to work as hard as we do. And, you know, they instilled in us. You know, you, you're going to be an attorney or a doctor, pick one. And, you know, that's sort of the way we sort of grew up. But more importantly, Bill, I, I think the pressure for me more than anything was seeing my parents come in as a young couple. You know, my, my parents got pregnant with me when, when, I, when they were 18 years old, seeing that, you know, go to, go to work early, come home late, sleep all weekend because they were exhausted. And then I had the opportunity to speak the language, go to some of you know the best schools out here. So for me, Bill, I felt an immense amount of pressure to not only succeed, but to take it to that next level. You know, they, they went so far with what they did coming to a country without speaking the language. And I had all the opportunities, you know, in my right mind, I couldn't say I'm going to slack, fool around. You know, I need to level this up. I need to, you know, represent. And that's sort of, I, I think, the fuel or the mindset that they gave both me, my brother, and my sister. You know, we're lucky to be here. We need to take advantage, you know, and you know, life is short. You know, that, uh, I'm sure they're very proud of all of you. So that's, that's awesome. That's, um, let me, so South Florida, I've, I've had the opportunity because I live in St. Petersburg now. I've been here seven years. I've had the chance to get down there a few times. Give me, give me the biggest misconception about growing up in South Florida. 
what's the one thing when you hear it, you go, come on, guys, you know? You know what? That, that's a great question because most of the misconceptions are mostly real for the most part. <laughs> and, and mo- yeah, I would love to say that th- there isn't. I, I think the biggest misconception for me is crime. You know, you don't see it as, as often as it's portrayed. You know, the, 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 the Miami fast life, the, the drug dealing and, the, you know, the shootings, you know, don't, don't aren't as prevalent as people might think. You know, we yeah. are a, a police city of law abiding, you know, multiculture, melting pot that has changed, you know, every single decade, you know, to not look like the decade before, you know, how, how it was. It, it's yeah. been incredible, the yeah. growth and, you know, what we've seen here, to be honest yeah. with you. No, I think, it, I mean, it, talk about a melting pot. You said those, use those words. I mean, every, it's almost like you can find every nationality in South Florida. So, so you, know, you know what, Bill, I'll give you a funny story. You know, my, my oldest son is in high school and, and I went to, you know, the, the first parent teacher meeting in high school mm-hmm. and uh, the, the coach came out, the, P, the, the PE coach came out with a Miami Dolphin jacket on and, and no, nobody cheered him. And he said, hey, where are you all from? And you would see the hands raised, Chicago, L.A., New York, Brazil, <laughs> Venezuela, Russia, Argentina, and it was like the United Nations in that high school, to be honest with you. Yeah. I felt, you know, out of place, and, and I was born here. Yeah. And, and I'm going to go even farther to say that if you go dine at a restaurant and if you listen to the conversations around you, you know, you'll, you'll see that the people aren't, you know, there's nobody born and raised here anymore. Everyone has come from some other place. Yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get back. You're you're in high school. You're right down there. And what 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 community did you grow up in? So I I, I jumped around. I, I was oh, born okay. in, in, in Hialeah. I moved to Doral. I moved to the Southwest. I lived in the beach in South Beach okay. for a while. But you know, before I was even 15, and then I started driving at 15 years old in Coral Gables. Okay, so you're let's say you're you're 16, 17 years old. You got you you're, you're, I, I heard what your parents said. Doctor, attorney, were you choosing one of those for your career at that age, or was it something else? Listen, absolutely, and I wanted to go into the medical field. Yeah. E- and believe it or not, dentistry was where I thought it was going to be a little bit easier than being a doctor. And I figured I can slide in there. And uh, I actually went to college, and and I went into pre med. And I said at that point, I'm, I'm going to go full steam ahead. I'm going to become a doctor. And then you know, real estate sort of knocked on my door surprisingly. Let's talk about that then, because though obviously real estate for everybody, it, it was your first career out of school, right? That's rare. Uh, you know that. So, you have a lot so, of agents. I'll, I'll bet you it's not very popular. Well, let me say that one more so, time. I'll say it like this. I'm sure you know, you know, you have over 500 agents in your brokerage. Not many of them, this is their first gig. No, as a matter of fact, historically, real estate is, is the, the biggest secondary profession that most people take. I was very lucky when I was in college, and uh, you know, I, I never share this story, so you're probably going to be the first one to get it. But uh, I was in college, and I, I was in pre-med, and you know, the only way to succeed there was to study from eight in the morning till midnight, and and go up to classes in between. And it was the first year; it, it was rough. And uh, you know what? During that time, I became single, Bill. And, and living here in South Florida, studying from eight to midnight, being single in your in your early 20s, early teens, with all your friends calling you, hey, I'm in the beach, I'm partying here, I have a table with this, and what are you doing? And I remember at the end of that semester, 
I told my, I was heartbroken, to be honest with you, Bill. And I told my father, hey, dad, I'm taking a semester off. You know, I want to have some fun and get out there. And uh, my father, you know, had a heart attack. And he said, listen, there's no way you're going to live off my dime and go out there, you know, while, while you should be in college. And he told me, if you decide to take a semester off, you need to get a job. And if you don't have a job, you're going to work construction with me. And, and sure enough, I took that semester off and I told myself, fine, I'll work construction. You know, you're up early before the crack of dawn and you're home by three o'clock. For sure you're exhausted, but the nights are yours and the weekends are yours. And I want to say the first week in construction, I found in the middle of the development site, Bill, I found a sales office. Okay. Inside the sales office, there was air conditioning. There was a water jug and there was a cute girl working in the front desk. So as, 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 as you can imagine, <laughs> as you can imagine, construction and sales aren't allowed to mix. We have to go to the porta potties outside and you haven't, you, you, you might not know me very well, but I'm not designed for a porta potty. So I would charm my way into the sales office, you know, with coffee or some, somehow I would find my way in there. And I got caught by the owner of the development inside the sales office with my construction boots on. And he told me to, you know, in a very nice way to get out and on the way out, I asked him right back, hey, how can I get a job in here? <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and he said, you know what? I'm looking for an assistant. Why don't you come tomorrow with a shirt and tie and we'll see how you do. And sure enough, next day, shirt and tie. And by the end of that week, I remember meeting with the owner and, and him asking me, you know, the, the ladies inside said you were great. You want to you work this summer here? And my response to him was, yeah, but I think I can sell. You know, I've heard these ladies and I've seen what they've been doing this week. You know, give me an opportunity to sell. And, and you know, my, my being a very smart boss, he said, you know what? Instead of having two salespeople, I may have three for sure. And by the end of that semester, I ended up being the number one salesperson in his company. And when, when I departed from him and I said, hey, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm going back to school. He said, wait a second. You know, I have these other opportunities and you're my best salesman. You know, I can offer you this much money if you decide to stay. And when I looked at the amount and I looked at what doctors were making at that time, I figured, you know what? They were pretty close. And I told my father, hey, I have this opportunity and I like sales. And, you know, in, in a very not so nice way, he gave me his blessing to go ahead and just do it. Wow. And I've been selling real estate ever since. So I think that I started that around 20 years old. By the time I was 26, I opened up real estate Salesforce. And that's, look, you're the second person I've interviewed this month who started their own operation in their mid-20s. I can't even imagine you know, how tough that was. I'm going to guess you were hiring a bunch of people that were older than you. They, they came in and looked at you and said, what, you're going to help me with my business? And talk about that a little bit. So you know what? Quite the opposite. When I opened up my, when I opened up my company, I looked around at the space that I was in and I felt that it was riddled with opportunity. And it was for, for me for the taking. So, so Bill, let, let me paint to you my picture. I'm, I'm 26 years old. The real estate market has just collapsed. Okay. The, the internet has boomed in our, right in front of us. And the average broker is 64 years old. And the average agent is 57 years old. And the internet has just exploded. Market has crashed. So for, for me, I, I was a tech native. I was the first generation to go to school with a laptop. So for me, seeing it go online and seeing that, that start, for me, I said, you know what? There's huge opportunity. And when I would talk to my competitors, 
you know, they were looking at left field. They didn't spot this. They didn't see it. They weren't paying that much attention to it. And I felt that, you know what? If I were going to stay in the business and grow, you know, I was going to leverage some of these new technologies and I was fluent in it. And, I, you know, I love to share, share this story with you, Bill. I used to farm Core Gables, so I would knock on people's doors and, you know, like old school, you know, and people would tell me, George, you know, I love your attitude. I love your energy. But, you know, Sally Jesse Raphael has been selling in my neighborhood for 30, 40 years. You know, I'm going to go with her. She sold my parents. She sold me and she's probably going to sell my kids. And it wasn't until the Internet boomed that I was able to sort of change my value proposition and say, hey, listen, you know, I know you've been working with Sally Jesse Raphael for the last 30, 40 years. But check this out. The Internet has boomed. You know, 90 percent of all home buyers are going online. As a matter of fact, the first showing happens online and we now have viewers from all over the world looking. Sally's super nice, but let me share with you a couple of things that I do differently to target that audience that really resonated with the consumer. Compared to the old school tactics, it was a little hybrid of old school and new school techniques that we were sort of inventing as we went. You know, we saw an opportunity for greater exposure. We're going to add it to our presentation at the speed of now and go out there and hit our audience. So, so for me, you know, when I look at the space, I didn't want to hire anybody older. You know, quite the contrary. I've learned in my industry that the older I get, the younger I have to hire because tech and business moves at such a fast speed that yeah. I lose it the older I get. So, yeah. so for me, you know, during that time, you know, I was young, I was creative. I, I had a, a wife that was pregnant with my firstborn. I had a house with a mortgage that I couldn't afford. You know, I couldn't have had more fire in me build to succeed and make stuff up that and see what stuck and, and, and you know, move my, my needle forward. Wow, George, you can, you can still hear the passion in your voice right now. The one thing you haven't lost in your older years, old, you're old, you're, you're a kid, <laughs> but passion. Paying my tuition in every single which way, but more importantly, you know, seeing what real estate can give back, you know, not only from a business perspective. Yeah, you know, making money is great and dandy, but, you know, from an agent growth perspective, from, from a family perspective, finding what they're looking for. From an investment perspective, helping people build their portfolios, you know, are you kidding me? And, you know, I, I, they pay me for this? <laughs> you know, you, you talk about being an early adopter of social. I did a little research digging around online before we chat. And 5,000 subscribers at the RESF YouTube channel, over 4,000 videos. Dude, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And that's from an independent brokerage. Yeah, you know. Well, so, so check this out. When, when, the, when the market crashed and I told you that I was riddled with opportunities, I made a decision. And my decision was very simple. I wanted to be a listing brokerage. You know, if you list, you last. And I asked myself simple, basic, common sense questions. You know, if I'm going to build a listing agency and focus on listings, then my value proposition needs to be centered around that. And I didn't want to discriminate on price. Because I know that a lot of people that, that I sold very small units to 20 years ago are now, are now multimillionaires. So for me, um, I wanted to sort of set a standard and say, hey, if you list with me, you know, this is what you should be expecting. And I, I, I thought it was very simple. You know, we're going to go into all of our, all of our properties and we're going to shoot pictures with the wide angle pictures. We're going to shoot high dynamic range photography. And then as technology was evolving... You know, the, 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 the cameras became smaller and smaller. And now what you shoot pictures, you know, you can also shoot video. So we, we, we said, you know what? 
Not only are we going to shoot pictures while we're there, but we want to create a video that allows the consumer to feel like they're walking the property from their iPhone, their iPad, or their computer. And we're going to use that wide-angle camera so we get from wall to wall, from ceiling to floor. We're going to shoot 60 frames a second so we can slow things down and speed them up without losing any quality. And we're not going to cut. So once we open that door, that camera is going to flow. We're, we, we have it on a glide cam, so it's very smooth. But we want to make you feel like you're walking the house. We want you to come out of that video saying, hey, I like it. Or you know what? Thank you for saving me the time. I don't want to even see it. So whichever way you go, we, we want you to have that experience. And what happens when we started doing that consistently was that we would get something from the owners that we never got at the beginning, which was, wow. You know, wow. We're impressed with, you know, how you're launching our property, you know, and, and, you know, that was really our focus. And what we learned, Bill, from that, from, from, from videotaping all of our properties till today is, you know, number one, my showing time gets cut by 90%, which is powerful, powerful. Yeah. Number two, in my, in my market, Bill, 20% of my market is coming from another country. Another 10% is coming from another state. So video for them, you know, sort of is a godsend. N number four, this is a reputation business. You can start your reputation with five iPhone pictures and a high five, or you can really spend money on the quality that you produce, not only to showcase to your audience, but those that you work for to really cement them to be an ambassador of you moving forward. For me, it was a gimme. And you know what? Unfortunately, it's hard work. But guess what? We are in the most competitive market in the history of the world right now. Hard work is, is a given, in my opinion. Yeah. So for yeah. me, you know, yeah. if, if I was going to build a brokerage, you know, I knew that I couldn't take any shortcuts. You know, I needed to really focus on what was important to building the agent and to the consumer. And I built that into my company. So we have a staff now that goes out and does this for us Monday through Friday. I, I would imagine... You've heard multiple times, maybe more times you'll ever than you can ever re recall. Wow, I saw what you did for my friend. Can we talk? Listen, I, I, I even get that, that. That's a given. I get yeah. more along along the lines of, "Hey, I saw. I, I live in that building. I saw your listing. You know, unit number four. I'm yeah. thinking about selling mine. You know, will you do the same to mine that you did there? Yes, George, you're. You're on the track. I'm pretty sure I have this right. I'm, I'm not super detailed on the association world, but you're on the track somewhere in the next few years. You're going to be president of Florida Realtors. Am I right? You're on yeah, that if track. I don't die, if I don't die or go to jail, <laughs> that's the plan. Okay. So let's talk about you've embraced volunteering You know, at the, in the industry, at the local, state, at national level, NAR, you've, international. You've done some things as well. Talk. Why is that so important for you? So you know, you know what? It, it goes back to my dad. My dad was a contractor here in South Florida during a time where Hispanics weren't able to get permits or, or be able to build freely. There was a lot of racism and discrimination here. So what happened down here is all the Hispanic builders and subcontractors got together and they created an, an association called the Latin Builders Association. And they pooled money. They lobbied together. They funded their own candidates and they put themselves in a position to create legislation, and build their industry. So for me, being involved, I saw the power of it. And I also saw the power coming from, from a country that, that, or watching my parents come from a country that, you know, lost all their rights. What happens when you don't get involved? Mm -hmm. so, so for me, when I got involved in my industry, the decisions that were made by my peers 
directly affected me and my business. And, you know, whether I felt that they agree, they were on the right track or were they, or were they on the wrong track, I felt that me being at the helm or, or me being involved with the years of experience that I had and being an independent broker and an agent, that, that I had a good sense of what was necessary for the overall industry. And uh, I started from a local level as president of YPN in, in South Florida, I'm in Miami. And from there, I moved directly up to the residential president for Miami Association of Realtors. And from there, I became the chairman of, of Miami. And, and for me, it was just, you know, being able to connect with them, you know, being able to sort of understand technology. And a lot of it happened, you know, really growing up in the industry and, you know, being able to, to understand different facets of it. My involvement in Miami obviously gave me some great exposure to Florida and NAR. With, with, with NAR, I was lucky enough in, I'm not sure what year, but Elizabeth Menenhall had a chair called the Emerging Business and Technology Chair, and she didn't want to assign it, so they had a national vote to see who would win that chair. And I was a young tech guy, and I said, you know what, let me throw my name on that hat, and I won a national election nice. know, for, for a national spot. So that, that was my first, you know, everybody in, in my board was saying, how did you get that? You know, you know, what do you know? I, I didn't know anybody, but I knew technology and my peers knew it and they voted me in. A couple years later, after I was chairman of Miami, l- luckily Miami gave me a position where, man, I was able to travel the world. And I was lucky enough to go to Spain and Spain loved that there was an American that spoke Spanish that could talk about American real estate that was successful. So I was able to, again, go to Spain and really get involved in that international you know, side of real estate. And, and what they really wanted to know was how we do it in America, you know, how awesome our system is. And so for me, it was very easy to go over there, speak Spanish and share some of, not only how we do it, but the techniques that we're using and where our industry is heading. And for me, that gave me that international look that when Charlie Opler, President Charlie Opler, came looking for the, his NAR Global Liaison. I was lucky enough right after COVID to, to be given that post. And wow. the, cool thing, the cool thing about that bill was that, it was, unfortunately, it was during COVID. So I got to Zoom around the world and meet people from, from different continents and, and different areas. And I'll share with you one common denominator from everywhere. You know, number one, you know, how important home became after COVID, regardless of where you were. Home became now, you know, re-centered as your sanctuary, your, your work, play, you know, and, and live environment. Number two was how international Florida was. You know, they spoke about our governor, whether you're pro or against him. You know, he was highlighted nationally. They spoke about the freedoms that we were experiencing here in Florida. They spoke about the safety we had here in Florida. And my favorite was that they felt that there was great opportunity here in Florida. Mm. So a lot of that was, for me, very exciting, you know, to go everywhere. And and a lot of the the good compliments came right back to to our state. Yeah. A couple more questions and I'll get you going. I know I've got a very busy guy. (laughs) My my next appointment's at four, so take your time. Make sure you get the good questions out of there. You mentioned you mentioned the pandemic coming out of the pandemic and into this it was a it was something nobody predicted but then by June or July it was like uh-oh things are happening things are different on top of that now as we go a little further down the lawsuits pop up and I do want to bring it up and if you know I know you have to be careful when you talk about that kind of stuff but but and then you've got then AI explodes and there's all this stuff going on so all these things you as the owner 
broker of RESF, Real Estate Salesforce, how are you? How do you set your agents up for success when there's so much stuff going on? How do you keep the focus? You know what? Great, great question. And I, I keep on with my rhetoric of you know, forget about the shiny new objects and get back to work. And and you know what? You know, real estate. Uh, you know, I, I love to say it is the oldest profession. Con- contrary to what other people think, it is. You know, you, you need to take out a room first, and we got it for you. So, so, so with that being said, you know, our industry has been around for a long time. It's not rocket science. Yeah. You know, you know, you, you need to, you know, get your, your, your business sense on your common sense on this is a face to face, nose to nose value giving business. Mm-hmm. And you can easily get caught up with all these things that are going on. But if you look at my office and you look at the top performers and the way that they work, it's, it's not that difficult. It's simple, but they're consistent you know, and they're focused on, on what their genre is. So, yeah. so for me, you know what, I, 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 it's my job as a broker to interpret the technology out there, to, to vet it and to bring it into my company whenever I feel or deem that, that it moves the needle. When, when it yeah. comes to the lawsuits, I need to remind my agents that I'm on the tip of that spear. You know, I am talking with, you know, all the attorneys in there and, you know, I'm not worried, so they shouldn't be worried. They should be going back t- to business. When, when it comes to AI, you know, I think it's an evolution of our business and it, it's where our business is heading. So I'm embracing it. You know, I'm, I'm looking for its innovations within the products that we have already. And I'm looking for it, it, innovations and products that are coming in. You know, anything that can make us better, I'm into it. Now, I remind everybody that the core of our business is relationships. It, it, it's being able to go out there and strike a chord with an audience, meet with an audience, more importantly, provide consistent value to your audience. And there is no piece of technology besides humans right now that can deliver it in, in a way that really impacts the consumer. And, yeah. and, and the day that that technology, you know, it, it's on par with our ability to prospect and we're going to have to shift it because everyone's going to be doing the same thing. So there's always going to be that human element, you know, that nose to nose, face to face prospecting and marketing and creating that consistency that, that moves the needle. So, you know what? I try to, to be an interpreter of that, that tech. I, I, I tend to be a, a reassurer of, of our industry and the good that it does and the importance that, that, that it causes with, within ourselves. And when it comes to technology, bring it on. You know, there's one thing constant is change and, you know, we're going to find a way to use it for good. I, li- I like the way you like I haven't heard you once talk about like transactions and income and units. It, you're helping families. That's what you're doing. Well, listen, right? listen, that, that, that comes. I, I think if you, if you look at the money, you don't go very far. You need to look right. at which part of this industry moves you and let it take you. Yeah, that's awesome. George, what if. This 26-year-old dude walks into your, or woman, walks into your office and says, I heard your story. How can I do that? How can I be the next George Guerra? I say, good luck. Find (laughs) another industry. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to tell you this. You know, George Guerra, where you see him here today, he's been beaten up. He's been bloodied. He's been dragged through the street. But you know what? He never gave up. He always kept it positive. He always believed in the people around him. He always believed in, you know, doing the right thing. And I kept that consistent. You know, don't get me wrong. I didn't fool myself and just think that I believe this is going to work. You know, I put my nose to the ground. You know, I, I really invested my free time and my off time in really sharpening my tools and making my industry better. I'm constantly grading myself and pushing myself 
to improve. And as long as you keep that, you know, you're going to be fine. So don't give up. You know, understand that until you feel, you know, that, that you can't go any lower, you have to be there. Nothing I ever got came easy. You know, it wasn't one, two, three or magic. It was a lot of suffering, a lot of mistakes, a lot of t financial tuitions, you know, to get me to where I'm at today. But I never gave up. And, and I, I, I think that's the trick. And I never gave up because it was my passion, because I felt it in my heart and I believed in it. Yeah. George, final question. It's the same one I've asked every guest. You're guest number 380. <laughs> so I, first oh, of all, wow. I apologize for taking so long to get to you. <laughs> but, but no worries. Here's the, what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? So it's brand new agent. They're new to the business. That's a great question because there's so much I'd want to tell them. When I talk to new agents, I always tell them this, you know, my business is a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. It, it requires a diet and an exercise. And, and the diet is marketing, the exercise is prospecting. And very much like working out, you know, if you work out every day and you eat right every day, you're gonna build your muscles and you're gonna get big and strong. You know, this business requires consistency. For my newer agents, I always say do the hard stuff first. So get, get all the stuff you don't wanna do out, out of the way. And probably my best advice, if I were to go and just give one advice, is that inside your heart, inside your soul, you have a business sense. You know, you have common business sense. And a lot of times, you know, products and people say things that just don't make sense, but we fall for it just because we don't have any other ideas or we're looking for something else. And if it doesn't make sense, it probably doesn't work. If it's hard work, it probably does work. So focus on working hard. George, this has been awesome. I can't thank you enough. If, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Definitely do not send me an email. Okay, email is <laughs> my first form of communication. You know, my, listen, my, Bill, my best form of communication is, is text message is my, my best form. It, you can find me. If you, if you Google me, you can definitely find some most of my social media outlets out there. Yeah. So if, if you direct message me as well on social media, I tend to be very responsive. And if you call me, huge chance that I pick up the phone. All right, cool. George, this has been great. I, I Like I said, I can't thank you enough. And it's, it's it was That's wonderful great. to get a chance to visit with you because I've, I've, I've known about you a long time because of your how active you are in the community in Florida. Uh, and so this is wonderful to get a chance to kind of get this, 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 this episode. And right. thank you so much for all your time. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to The Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Hey.